The closer you get to the light, the greater your shadow becomes. Tell me, can you spare a heart? What's up? Welcome to an awfully wonderful time. This is your favorite artless speaking, and the door has opened to Kingdom Hearts. Welcome to my Kingdom Hearts retrospective show, where we revisit the good, the bad, and the supreme darkness of the Kingdom Hearts series. <laughs> so for those who listen to my AOK podcast, my overall pop culture th- talk thing, you'll see that I've done a retrospective of Kingdom Hearts 1 up to Atlantica. It was then that I realized I wanted to have a dedicated retrospective podcast just for this series. So, if you are listeners coming from there or new listeners, regardless, welcome. We are starting fresh. Fresher than a newborn. (laughs) Why did I say that? Anyway, I figured it'd be just the best, especially format-wise, to just restart. And shoot, I love this series so much. Why not, you know? So, let's start from the beginning. In the beginning, Tetsuya Nomura created the Kingdom Hearts Heavens and the Earth. Wait, no, that's not right. All right, seriously. So, starting off at March 28th, September 17th, November 15th, and 17th of 2002. These were the dates that changed the lives of Final Fantasy and Disney fans all over the world myself included. Kingdom Hearts graced the TV screens of kids and adults alike. This game for countless people was a chef's kiss. Delicious. It was the appetizer, full course, and dessert. And fortunately, we wouldn't have to wait much longer for a sequel, even though, for some reason, a PS2 game got its sequel on the Game Boy Advance. Huh. Figure that one out. And it was cool that back when I saw the ending to the game, it ended like, oh man, they got to continue this. It would it would really suck if this was the last game that came out. Like, imagine if this game was one of those gems that was beloved by a lot of fans, but just didn't sell quite enough for the company to want to make a sequel. Oh, like so many games that we've had like that. It just, ugh. That That's just a scary thought. But, yeah, it's just so wild to think that in 2002, I was 10 years old. <laughs> Sheesh. Being 29 now, it feels still feels like yesterday, the very first time I saw Kingdom Hearts. Do you remember your first glimpse of the game? When, when in the series did you start? Did you start with the OG game or with the remixes later on? What was it? To this day, I still kick myself for not keeping that Game Informer that previewed the game way back when. I remember looking at Sora, Riku, and Kairi chilling on the Destiny Islands. Then below, I see Donald and Goofy at Disney Castle, and I go, Well, this looks interesting. Actually, those screenshots may not have been exactly those things, but I'm fairly certain they were all featured in that preview to some, some degree. So either way, it caught my eyes. It was like that pirate treasure map episode of Spongebob where Spongebob and Patrick's eyeballs are literally rubbing themselves all over the page. Oh, sorry, I hit my mic there. Um, Then it's just like literally their eyeballs are just shooting out of their head like a whole foot and just rubbing all over the page, getting every single detail. That's how I was. Then at some point later on, uh, I'm over a friend's house, and I watch them catch an L or two, uh, fighting Sephiroth. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, with that, and then coupled with seeing the commercials, too, with the awesome catchphrase that I really wish they kept as a staple through the series. We never really hear it again outside of that OG commercial. You'll never guess who you'll run into next. Ugh. I love it. With my all-time, one of my all-time favorite songs to this day, Utara Hikaru's 
simple and clean. Seeing the likes of Genie, Simba, Tarzan in action, ugh, just seriously, shut up and take my money. <laughs> or I guess technically my parents' money at that point. I think I got allowance around that time, but either way, whatever. It, it was it was somebody's money. <laughs> so what started off as two employees of both companies, as we know by the, by now, Squaresoft at the time and Disney, sharing an elevator ride and shooting around ideas. Man, would I have loved to have been in that elevator, you know, with my own art style and projects really inspired by KH just imagining working on one of their games or especially working on the first game oh man that would have been a dream come true I don't care if I was 10 at the time or technically like 8 because I'm sure the game was in production for at least like 2 years minimum but wow get me in there <laughs> it would have been so great so with this it kind of started off as like a Mickey Mouse RPG to proposing even having Donald being the lead character to then Nomura, the director of the game, com compromising between the two companies' choices with introducing a new original character, Sora. This eventually came to what we have now. Sora's final design actually shares similarity with the classical Mickey design from the white gloves, yellow shoes, mainly red outfit. Honestly, that's why to this day, I still love his OG outfit the best. It's still, still no knocking it, you know? But anyway, um, strange enough, Mickey wasn't able to be involved much in Kingdom Hearts 1, as we know, uh, due to the rights to him being already used in another game at the time, which I believe was due to, um, let me see, which I believe was due to the Mickey Mouse and the Magical Door game which was also released that same year. I'm just guessing that. I could be wrong, but who knows at this point. Um, Barnaby's kind of like, I mean, you guys are Disney. You really can't have Mickey Mouse be in two games at once? I mean, I don't know. These agreements with licensing and whatnot, it's just weird sometimes. But then again, I don't know. Maybe there's a particular reason why they have it that way. Part of me kind of wonders what game it would have gotten had Sora not been the main protagonist. What with Marvel's What If uh, coming out uh, in two days actually now, at the time of recording this. So many scenarios in the other series have been playing out in my head a lot more recently. Like imagine if Sora, Riku, and Kairi were still characters, but were used or slash uh, manipulated by Maleficent. What do you think that game would have been like if it went down that route? Or... If it was Donald, maybe it would have been more like a Donald Gone Quackers game. That was actually a pretty legit game. I really, really liked that game. Or maybe if they stuck with the whole Mickey Mouse thing, maybe it could have been a precursor to Epic Mickey. There's a lot of thoughts about that, and I, I really wonder how things could have been. And honestly, with things when it comes to things like this, I often wonder what the game would have been like if it was actually remade today if we got a chance to play like Mickey's perspective or Riku's perspective during the first game that's something I always wanted to experience or even a what if where Kyrie is the chosen one of the Keyblade and she has to save Sora you know or even switching it with nah, nah, I'll just stick it with that never mind <laughs> so finally we start off with the game, with Sora having a small existential crisis. Did I say that right? Existential or is it existential? One of those. I've been having these weird thoughts lately. Is, is like, is anything for real? Or not? Me too, man. Is this the puberty talking, Sora, or are you becoming self-aware? Or is it both? I don't know. So the beautiful, full of symbolism opening starts with simple and clean playing. Riku turns to Sora, asking for help out of the water as a large wave comes his way. And unfortunately, drowns because Sora decides to run to Riku in slow motion, Baywatch style. 
Later, after surviving, Sora has to break the news to Kairi, who looks so happy to see him. But then they see a meteor shower in the sky, and also Sora, who is also in the sky, but also besides Kairi, and now Sora is falling from the sky. What? what? <laughs> Legit, this is what I thought was happening as a kid. But it turns out, you know, it's all, as I said before, symbolic. You know, the water being darkness, Riku not being, or Riku not afraid of it, and reaching out to Sora, unaware of the darkness separating our trio coming from Riku from behind, like it was John Cena. Or, um, oh wait, who's the other guy? It's John Cena, and then there's Randy Orton, like it was Randy Orton. <laughs> the darkness. Oh, snap. Could you imagine the darkness RKOing Riku in that scene <laughs> when he's reaching out to Sora? Oh, man. That'd be amazing. Anyway. So, you know, the, the water symbolizes the darkness separating the trio and how this path would change them forever, very soon. And how Kairi and Sora are close to reigniting, but then Sora is falling. So, could have explained that last part a little better, but I'm leaving it at that. We, we all know what it means by now. So, even when I originally had no clue what was going on, I was like, this is really cool. Is the whole game going to look like this? The commercial didn't look like this. So I was just... Either way, I was having a good time. I was jamming. I was jamming. Uh, we find Sora standing atop a glass citadel of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. A beautiful illustration along the glass. He hears a voice speak to him. So much to do. So little time. Take your time. Don't be afraid. The door is still shut. Now, step forward. Three pedestals emerge around us, sporting some interesting product placement. The Mickey Mouse shield, sword, and staff. A $40 value all yours for just $39.99 plus shipping and handling. And your heart. <clears throat> yeah. The voice speaks out again. Power sleeps within you. If you give it form, it will give you strength. Choose well. Most people have heard choose the sword, which each, or excuse me, with each choice, it gives you a boost in certain stats. And I mean, most people choose the sword because, you know, it's a sword. It looks cool. They all look cool. But of course, this sword stands out. I typically chose the staff because I love the MP boost. It's just ah, the power of the mystic. Then for some reason, the glass, after you make your choice and the sacrifice of one of the three, actually, I never realized this. Do you actually, what, I never really looked this up, but do you actually lose anything in that sacrifice? Like, does your stats, I get, I know you get boosts by what you choose and what you keep, but I don't know if it actually gives you like a deficit if you decide, depending on what you uh, give up never noticed i don't know so um with that for some reason the glass all shatters and sora falls again and again prompting first-time players to think crap did i make the wrong choice did i get the bad ending nah nah we're good we're good poor sora has been falling since the start of the game i would be so annoyed right now if i was him so next up, we land at the Cinderella Citadel next. And the rest of this shows us the basic movement. Attack and some even, um, some of the enemies, I should say, that we'll encounter. Giant black ants. Nah, they're heartless. We just don't know it yet. Uh, if I remember correctly, back in the 358 over two days, I believe when playing a Sora, you can actually have him play with one of the three of the Mickey Mouse product placements, or maybe just the sword. I'm, I remember at least the sword being in there. But now that I'm at, thinking about this, imagine dual wielding one of these, especially the staff or the shield with the Keyblade combo. Oh, man. I wish. Like, imagine, maybe if it was like a New Game Plus thing, or, I don't know, you have to you have to achieve something first. You, you can't just start off right off the bat, man. You know, you know you're just... You're just starting to learn how to attack. You can't. You get. You got to crawl first before you can run. Well, walk and then run. But 
I feel like that would have been a really cool thing. But I, I get it, though, because if you did that, it kind of would have taken away from the power of the Keyblade and the, and the importance of what it is. So I, I can I can understand why we mainly just have the Keyblade. So progressing through more of the tutorial, we find ourselves talking to three kid versions of Final Fantasy characters. Titus, Waka, and Selfie. Asking questions like, what means the most to you, or what matters the most to you, one of those? What are you most afraid of? And what do you want out of life? What's weird is, no matter what you choose, Titus makes this famous awkward and loud laugh, and it doesn't stop until you leave the Oh, man, that would have been great. <laughs> but no, that doesn't happen. Oh, I would I would love that, though. That laugh is just so awfully hilarious. So, <laughs> I can't, like, imagine, like, he, he literally does not stop laughing until you leave. <laughs> so, the, and it's not even the kid who voices Titus in the, or Titus in the game. It's... <laughs> Oh, what is his name? He voiced um, James Arnold Taylor. Yeah, it, it, he actually, or better yet, they just take the clip from the game. They don't even, because I know he reprises, or maybe not reprise. I know he comes into the games at a later point, because I know he plays uh, Jack Sparrow in Kingdom Hearts 2, and he does like a role or two in 3. I don't know if he did any roles in 1. But I know he was the original voice actor of uh, Titus. Eh, either way. So. <laughs> oh, man. I got, okay, I, I really got to get that out of my head. It's so great, though. Um, this actually determines how you level up in the game. And it varies along three levels dependent on what choices you choose. I typically choose either dawn or midday, which results in choices such as uh, friendship, meaning the most to me, being afraid of getting old and seeing rare sights. Those are the choices I usually default. And usually that, like I said, results in one of those two. And um, I like talking about more in depth about these certain things because there are still people to this day that don't really realize a lot of that stuff. And especially if you're starting out with the game for the first time, because not everyone starts off with one in this series. Some people jumped on on different games and I'll mention that a little bit later too so I always thought it was kind of interesting because I think this game is one of the only ones that does it like this so uh, let's see what do we have next here so the next Citadel goes to Sleeping Beauty I haven't seen the second Maleficent movie yet but I really want to and I really want to see Cage Maleficent and Jolie's Maleficent interact That'd be really cool. I would really love to see that. Regardless of how she ends up in the second movie. I'm kind of convinced she I'm kind of convinced the second movie puts her in the Maleficent, you know, evil direction, but who knows. I'm actually a fan of the first one. I thought that was really cool. It was it was nice to see this uh different side of her. It always made me think of this um what, what's it called? It, it, there was a, not a meme, but there was a picture I saw where it showed all of the female villains of uh, Disney's history, more so in the older 90s, early 2000s era, like Ursula, Maleficent, um, the Evil Queen, and so forth. And it said something along the lines of Disney Evil Queens or something like that along the lines where princesses who never got their happy endings wait that doesn't sound right they're they're happily ever after excuse me yeah so i thought that was actually really cool and it after watching the maleficent movie with that i thought that was pretty cool because i know not everyone's a fan of how they were trying to make her a good guy but hey everyone has an origin right so at that point um we're finally able to save and we finally get a sweet yet frightening bridge to cross to the final citadel. There are just other glass platforms. Sorry, I keep hitting the mic. <laughs> Hopefully it's not too bad. And it's frightening mainly because it's literally like endless darkness below us. It's like that. It's like Spider-Man 1 all over again on the PS1. 
only it wasn't darkness it was just this green haze that was an instant kill so fortunately this part is clumsy proof and you can't fall off the bridge no matter what you do fortunately I've, I've I tested it because you know there's always that general curiosity if you can fall off an edge or not I always test it out in games <laughs> and I'm always like I wonder I'm always surprised so and now I'm wondering should I be calling these towers actually are they are they more so towers or citadels I have no idea a bit late at this point but whatever our tutorial ends with a beauty and the beast uh, tower and right on cue the voice speaks again the closer you get to the light the greater your shadow becomes and after going through this part of the game that's what prompted me to want to use that line for the intro of this podcast and hopefully I uh, hopefully it's an intro that people like I, I I'm I like it but I don't know I may change it in the future but we'll see how it's received um so Sora's shadow suddenly morph <laughs> morphs what in the world suddenly morphs into this small legged muscular dreadlocked glowing eyed dark creature it's a surprise boss fight and actually one of my favorite heartless who becomes quite the stable of the series something that just dawned on me too what if when Sora becomes a heartless this was really what he turned into and spoiler but I mean dude it's a it's it's a really old game <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's it's a really old game come on <laughs> so and I, I just because and this was it would be really cool if this was actually just like a, a major foreshadowing him fighting this dark version of him so to speak and i mean it still kind of is foreshadowing in a way like imagine when Sora becomes a heartless, he turns into this type of heartless instead. And he kind of, he's wreaking havoc on Hollow Bastion, not really able to control himself. And he's just doing the the normal thing, trying to get hearts and destroy things. And the princesses had to band together to stop him, including you, the player, who now has to play as Kyrie to save Sora. While Don and Goofy uh, back you up, fighting off the heartless around you. Like, temporarily, Kyrie wields the Kingdom Key, but as the Oath Keeper that he drops when he falls to darkness. To me, it just, it would have made a lot of sense. I would have really, really, really loved to see that. Instead of him becoming just a Shadow Heartless, since at this point, Sora has an uber-strong heart. Which typically, especially after fighting Riku, and... Based on your heart's strength, that typically does reflect how strong the form your heartless and nobody takes. So, but at the same time, it's I I'm not, I'm not really gonna knock that part of the game. It's still very fun, and it was quite a twist. And being able to play as a heartless was phenomenal. And I hope that we get that opportunity to do something like that in the future. Um, I honestly would be all for like a horde mode and just playing as different heartless because i know in bbs there was like a what was it there was a there was a mode where you can play as the unversed i forget to what degree but it was a scrapped mode i believe or maybe it did make it to the final version and i've played bbs bbs's campaign but there's a couple of things I haven't played fully yet. So maybe that's just in the Final Mix version. I don't know. I'll have to find that out soon. But anyway, as the boss grows and takes shape in front of us, the voice says, But don't be afraid. The voice says as Sora runs in terror, nearly falling off the edge. Easy for you to say, buddy. I mean, what are you doing while this is happening? I bet you're safe and you're, you're telling me don't be afraid. Yeah, yeah, of course. Why did my voice crack like that? <laughs> and then he goes on to say, and don't forget. Don't forget what? He leaves us on a cliffhanger as we fight the boss. And only at the end of the boss, does, boss fight does he say, you hold the mightiest weapon of all. So don't forget. You are the one who will open the door. 
Thank you for the very cryptic pep talk. I, I really appreciated hearing this as I was being eaten by darkness. Thank you. Thank you. I, I really appreciate it. Thumbs up to you, buddy. <laughs> so um, I always kind of figured this was Mickey talking to us. Um, he seems to already know Sora is a special boy, as a very special boy. But having the ability to communicate via the heart as Mickey can, it stands to reason by doing that he can feel how strong one's heart is. So I can understand that. We don't really find out he can do this and officially until like Chain of Memories. But either way, you know, connecting the two, it's like, oh, okay, that scene makes sense now. Um... Nomura actually did reveal it to be true in the Ultimania book that it was Mickey. Um, I don't remember when the book came out, though. I know a new version of it came out, like, this year. A revised version, something like that. But I, I can't wait to get that. I'm so excited. Um, I bet if Mickey could have been fully in the game, oh, man, I bet he would have been there with us as a party member. That would have been so cool having him there. I mm, Maybe it wouldn't have made sense if he was... No, because he kind of does that with Riku. So, yeah, uh, I mean, it's a, I mean, come on, why not? It's really cool. I think about how it is in, in Kingdom Hearts 2, whenever you face a certain boss and you get KO'd, you get clapped, and Mickey comes out of nowhere like, hey, I got you. So, why not here? <laughs> I'm totally down for that. So... Yeah, actually, that'd be really cool. Like, I'm I'm serious, dude. If 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 one ever was to get a remake, yes, add these things in there. I mean, it would it would forever change the experience. But that's the whole purpose of a remake, you know, remaking it, modernizing it, um, to the max degree. Like how it would, I mean, remake it as if it was a new game coming out in this modern era. So it makes sense. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it actually makes me wonder too. Like, imagine another alternative where we played part of the game as Mickey as he does his search for the Kingdom Key D, and we play as Riku as he helps kidnap the other princesses under Maleficent's command. I forgot to mention like that earlier. I mean, I I talked about it playing as the two characters, but I wanted to like say mainly what I expect them to be doing during this point which makes sense or not this point in the game but when their parts would happen a, a little nice prologue with mickey would actually be nice and then we jump into source tutorial like a like a just a crazy fight he's doing in the dark realm or something and then it cuts to sora i think that would have been pretty cool but technically 1.5 of kh1 was a remake because the original cage was um as we knew it got lost like their files that square enix got corrupted or something and somehow uh because of that square had to build it up from the ground and i just thought wow that's they did a good job though they did a really good job so we were swallowed by the darkness by this dark titan that spews at us upon his defeat and we then wake up along some calm waters on the beach that's a good deal a good trade has anyone ever failed that fight, by the way? Does it have a continue screen if you fail, or does that cutscene play out regardless? I don't, I don't know. I've never lost that fight. Um, I love how Kyrie stares, or scares Sora by looking down on him as he's, you know, laying back down, just soaking in what just happened. She laughs, and while Sora explains what all he went through just seconds ago, Kyrie bonks him on the head. Are you still dreaming? She asks. Unconvinced, it was anything more than that uh they talk some more setting up some things like Kyrie not being a native to the island like uh Sora and Riku are and if she'd ever want to go back despite not remembering anything of it and how eager they are all to go out there and see all the worlds well possibly see all the worlds out there uh Riku at this point comes in throws this huge log pause on Sora comically and you see these characters interact in a very fun way showing these three are definitely good friends they are working on a raft to venture out and it makes me wonder if they ever asked their parents just about you know taking a vacation instead of 
it, you know, it might have been a little easier taking a plane or a boat than, you know, a, a raft. But, I mean, they are talking about other worlds and not a continent or another beach elsewhere or something, so... Or maybe even just the next town over. So, yeah, I guess. But, I mean, a raft, really? <laughs> I always laugh at the uh, at the three racing before the title drop. Sora and Riku just leave Kyrie in the dust. She laughs to hide her pain at being so hopelessly outclassed. <laughs> just kidding. And as you can see, Riku looking at Sora like he's so thrilled for the competition. Uh, childhood rivalry. So next up, we are quested by Kyrie to gather supplies for the raft. Like, uh, more logs, a cloth, and three fish. And, and by the way, I gotta mention how fresh that Kingdom Hearts logo is when it drops after that race, and then it, it zooms back to, um, Kyrie and Sora, who are, you know, talking about what, uh, Sora needs to do to do his part on building the raft. So it's really nice. Um, and it is. Oh wait, no, I skipped a part. Wait, did I? Oh no, no, no. Okay, I'm going over my cliff notes here, and I, I did skip a sentence. All right, there we go. So during this whole quest, which is you know nice and simple and clean. Wink. Uh, during this, we can talk to Riku, Titus, Waka, and Sophie, who are spread out along this side of the island. And if you're skilled enough, we can make it rain L's if you choose to spar with all the characters after talking to them. And it's actually refreshing that they all fight differently. Loki, it's a little messed up that Selfie fights with a jump rope, being a you know a, a girl and all, <coughs> sexist. But, uh, dude, nah, I'm joking. But, I mean, those plastic tips, dude, I've I've been hit plenty of times by jump ropes in my youth. And those things full have been hurt. Sheesh. And, honestly, those actually might be wooden tips, now that I think about it. I mean, they're brown and they're huge. Youch. I mean, actually, I bet she low-key uses it as a front to make us think it's an easy win. And then, bam, whips it right across our face. Ugh, splinters galore. I can't help but want to find more ways to have Titus's uh, famous laugh in the game. <laughs> Wait, did I? I keep going between Titus and Titus, don't I? Well, either way, it's, uh, I don't really care at this point. It's like Raish all ghoul and, and Raz all ghoul. I don't really care. Either way, it's a cool character. I'm, there's many ways to pronounce her name. Yes, there's an official way. I'm going to forget. <laughs> so I apologize. Um, <laughs> like, imagine uh, going back to his laugh. Like, if you end up losing against him, he should have done his laugh. <laughs> I mean, literally, the kid asks, you feeling lucky today, Sora? And the lads, I mean, obviously, from that alone, you can tell he's quite confident in his ability. So yeah, having that laugh after a, a loss, that would have been pretty funny. So yeah. Um, after beating the three FF stars, you then get the opportunity to actually fight all three together. It's a little tricky, but once you get the right strategy, it can be really fun. I usually go after selfie first, and then I I kind of I kind of fluctuate between Waka and um between Waka and Titus. But I figure Selfie and Waka are the trickiest because they have more reach. So it's like, it's better to probably take them out first. But, yeah. And also, fighting Waka is always hilarious, too. I mean, just whacking the balls right at him as he throws them, giving him a mini con concussion each hit. Ooh, this dude is not going to be able to even say his name, his own name. He's going to forget his own name by the end of the fight. It's... <laughs> Uh, then, of course, you can fight Riku, which is like the best way to level up because you get that scoreboard, good morale boost, you know, as as, as the notches raise up. And you, I believe you get the most XP for him, too, from the technical hits to just, I mean, it doesn't take as long as fighting the other three. Especially as you level up, it takes less and less time to beat him. 
but I guess the same could be said for the trio, but, you know, less to focus on just fighting Riku. And, and of course, you get a potion after each win. Dude, collect up. Stock up, you know. Um, here, I usually do get a few levels off of him before leaving to the next level. And, like I said, extra potions. Um, usually, like, I don't know. I usually go between, like, level 5 and 10. Um, 10 if it's been a while since I played the game. Five of them just like, yeah, I'm done. I, I just want to, I just want to go now. <laughs> 10 usually if I'm playing on a hard difficulty. But that being said, I can't believe someone got to level 99 on this level. But at the same time, I bet going through the rest of the game at that level was so satisfying. Because I know with the Keyblade's attack strength, that really, really, really matters in this game. But, dude, the attack strength you have at level at level 99 going up against the rest of the game at that point. Ooh, I, I need to see if there's a video of him going through the game like that. I really need to check that out. <laughs> so, um, we end the day with supplies collected, a few levels under our belt and potions including some sore and splinter-ridden friends from me knocking them around with my wooden sword. Ah, uh, if every day could be felt like this, could feel this good. Our three friends rest on an oddly bent tree gazing out towards the sunset, talking about Kairi's home, how far the raft could take them, and how determined they are at leaving this place. Mainly Riku always wanted to venture out when finding out Kairi came from someplace out there. He even thanks Kyrie. Notice here how they all are saying other worlds, not other islands or countries, cities, whatever. These kids are trying to reach another world with a raft. <gasps> Wait a minute. They're flat earthers. How else could they expect to achieve this? Nah, it couldn't be. But I got my eyes on these three. I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe they are flat earthers. So, as our trip departs for the day, Riku tosses over a papo fruit to Sora. You wanted one, didn't you? He asks. Sora seems a little surprised. As Riku goes on to say, whoever shares one, their destiny becomes intertwined. Come on. I know you want to try it. He laughs, leaving it with Sora as the unamused Sora just tosses it and catches up with his friends. And Kyrie is like already a few feet from, from the dock. Now, Riku was talking about sharing the fruit with Kyrie or him. Oh, there's a phantom for the for both. <laughs> eh, I always preferred Sora and Kyrie. Riku looks to be maybe into Namine, you know, since a certain version of Riku was. Maybe that carried over to this Riku. Oh, well. I mean, it is a blonde Kyrie, so I think it's safe to say Riku has a type since it's alluded he may have a thing for Kyrie himself since he later makes a bet where the winner shares the fruit with Kyrie, or it may have been just to rile up Sora for another challenge. I don't know. Childhood rivalry. I legit think Riku did have a thing for Kyrie, though. Not as much as Sora does, but... It was there, I think. I really do think so. So, next up, we head over to the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Hot dog. Oh, thank God. No, that's that's not true. <laughs> that is not true. Please don't let that be a thing. <laughs> we actually head over to Disney Castle. That music is so infectious, by the way. Not as infectious as Destiny Island's music, I don't think. But, man, it comes close. I love how... The layout of the castle looks like Donald's hat. Take a look. Now you can't unsee it, right? I can't, I can't unsee it. <laughs> um, we got the boy Donald walking down a corridor, passing some sentient brooms. Nice Fantasia reference. I don't know if it's Fantasia or Fantasia 3000. I, don't, I remember seeing both. If I remember correctly, Fantasia 3000 was the one where Mickey was uh, he had Yen Said's hat. Or maybe it was both. I have no idea. It's been way too long since I've seen those movies. Because I remember Fantasia, at least one of them had some uh, questionable stuff happening in it. So I think it was the first one uh, where it had the questionable stuff, I mean. So Donald looks like he's having a good day. He turns his face to this comically 
large door down the corridor, knocks on it, and opens the actual door, that being the size of, you know, about a normal door. But, you know, was that just a visual gag, or is this a com- is this comically large door used by someone? Because, dude, that's a giant door. That thing was at least like 30, 50 feet. Sheesh. I, I always wondered this, but, I mean, who knows. So the throne room, surprisingly empty... <laughs> more than Donald realizes at this point. I have expected to see some trophies and collectibles here or something, but, I mean, hey, it's plenty of room for some parties, right? So Donald goes on to say, Hey, good morning, your majesty. Majesty. What? Good morning, your majesty. There we go. Says the unsuspecting duck. It's nice to see you this morning. Uh, uh-oh. That throne is looking very empty. Man. As huge of a trademark that Mickey Mouse emblem is, by the way, that's all over this wall. And actually all over the castle, to be honest. It's... It is everywhere. And it makes me... It makes sense now that I'm thinking about it when you consider the lucky emblem thing that's at Disney. By the way, that I really did enjoy that minigame in 3. Hopefully you guys did too. Um, hopefully we get it again in future installments. Also, those statues of Donald and Goofy are really cool. Interesting design choice, having them, having both their eyes covered by their hat and helmet, respectively. So, yeah, Donald realizes that, yeah, Mickey's not there. But it's kind of funny, because does Donald freak out after seeing the letter Pluto has, or does he just automatically freak out that Mickey's not there because maybe he's always there. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> Donald freaks out, but not before seeing Pluto, like I said, step from behind the throne with a letter in his mouth. And man, does Donald flip out. Pure gibberish, gibberish coming out of his mouth. More than usual, I might add. Frantically making his way to Goofy, who's having a nice nap in the garden area, Donald, in his infinite wisdom decides to cast thunder on this poor dog who happens to, gee, I don't know, be wearing Knight's armor, you know, metal pieces on his body. Goofy took it like a champ, though, just greeting Donald afterwards with a good morning. I mean, yeah, he couldn't have woken him up at all after a few name calls or, you know, maybe tapping him on the shoulder, maybe. No, no, Donald just went straight renegade on him. Oh, my gosh. So Donald tries to tell Goofy about what he found out in the letter, but he wants to keep it between him and just Goofy. That it's top secret, not even the Queen can know. Well, Donald, Queen Minnie, and even Daisy want to know because they're right behind you. You were talking to her, bro. They, they now know that something's going on here. Ah, the suspense. We cut back to another day on Destiny Islands with Sora just making it to the beach. So this new day brings a few new challenges, collecting mushrooms, fresh water, a bird egg, and coconuts. I like the variety and how we have to collect all these, by the way, from climbing up the middle tree and then jumping from, like, one tree to get to the top of the other one to get the bird egg, and then collecting the random mushrooms, like one's behind a rock, another one's at the base of the ladder, then another one's on the other side of the island in the secret place. It was it was fun. It was actually very refreshing. It was a nice little collectathon. Not too long, not too short. And like I said, we get to explore the other side of the island uh, by doing so. Uh, but here we also get another challenge from Riku: a race. Whoever wins by making it to one side, touching the star fixture and back, not only gets to name the raft, but gets to share the papu fruit with Kairi. Ooh, this took Sora off guard. He was hesitant. Proving that my boy, I keep hitting the mic, I'm sorry. <laughs> Proving that my boy has some feelings to share. And by the way, the way I'm hitting my mic, I'm not. I'm actually like accidentally hitting the um the pop filter i'm hitting the arm of it you know i'm not actually hitting the mic i'm hitting a piece of the mic that you know happens to be that sensitive in a good way i, I think this mic's a lot better than my old one same brand but different model 
Um, let's see here. So yeah, he definitely, my boy definitely has some feelings to share about Kyrie. So with this, you get a chance to actually name the raft. I actually always name it Chalk Thunder. Um, Chalk Thunder, I mean, since I never get to get the chance to to fit Chocolate Thunder on there, so you know, I just abbreviate a little bit. So we have Kyrie countdown, and the race begins. This race can actually be easy to win, yet easy to lose. I always go around letting Riku take the zip line. Um, sometimes you kind of have to like nudge him to go that route because sometimes he'll follow you around the long end, which is kind of stressful <laughs> that he does that, but. I've seen it happen to not just me, but also other people's playthroughs. So anyway, it usually works out well. But then that freaking board on the on the uh, bridge that breaks at the beginning can be tricky. <laughs> but if you get Riku to fall down with it, oh man, it's great. It's tricky though to do that. You gotta time it just right, so that way you jump right as it falls. But... It's like hit or miss. Like sometimes Riku will jump right before, sometimes he'll jump right before it's too late. And if he does that, if he falls down with it, you have Riku dealing with his broken ankles as Sora continues to prove his love to Kairi. <laughs> Better luck next time, Riku. Oh, it's so satisfying. So other than that next notable thing is uh, when, oh wait, did I, I didn't say that right. Other than that, the next notable thing, there you go, is when you collect one of the mushrooms in the secret spot behind the waterfall that Wonka talks about visiting today, that day with Titus. Little did they know, Sora, Riku, and Kairi have been going there for years. It's kind of funny, actually. Oh, I already said that. Well, I said it again. It's really funny. Um, I still... Dude, now I said it again, and I didn't even want to say it that time. I meant to say it's really fun <laughs> looking at all the chalk drawings all over um, the secret cave area. From, like, the the walls, the rocks, and a couple, like, even higher up where you would think, man, the cat, how did they reach that? So I don't remember what all they were, but it ranged from, like, Easter eggs to foreshadowing certain things, too. Um... After this, you get to collect the mushroom at the far end that's actually next to that oddly, oddly, that odd door, I should say, that's there. We find two pictures of Sora and Kairi drawn when they were about 10. And Sora decides to add to the picture right now, drawing himself, giving her the papu fruit. Then noticing he is not alone in this secret place, that he is being watched by a strange, buttery-voiced man shrouded shrouded in a brown cloak. Sora asks, who's there? And this man responds with, I've come to see the door to this world, tied to the darkness, soon to be completely eclipsed. I love this interaction so much. One of my few complaints with this game is that I wish Ansem was more involved in this game. Billy Zane is still my all-time favorite Ansem voice actor. I really, really wish he reprised his role. Part of me always wondered how, if at all possible, could we have fit my boy more in this game. Honestly, him just chilling with the round table of villains would have been cool. I mean, it, it would have made sense. It's not like... It would have been a surprise he was going to have a big role. I mean, him appearing here all mysterious and whatnot, having the voice he does, monologuing to the protagonist, and then vanishes. That's classic bad guy M.O. Like, I was looking for this guy the whole game, and when he finally appeared, I was like, dude, you took your time. Okay. But, you know, he's playing chess, and he's just waiting for the right time for the checkmate. So he belittles Sora in this conversation, telling him his adventure to go out and learn what's out there is a meaningless effort. That one who knows nothing can understand nothing. It's kind of weird Sora never brings this up again. Not, not just to Riku and Kairi about the fact that there was a major stranger danger going on in a dark cave... But at Hollow Bastion, when he hears Ensign's voice alongside the new body, the new fresh body at that. Wait, no, wait, wait, wait. 
Sora didn't. Oh wait, wait. Sora didn't see Ansem in the Hollow Bastion. I forgot he was a heartless at the time. At that point, and by the time he regained his body, Ansem was already gone. Okay, so I guess at the end of the world, then. I think I don't know. I just think it would have been a nice nod along the lines of Sora saying something like, "That voice, you were that potato sack guy in the cave." <laughs> I don't know, something more serious probably, but I don't know, I just, it's weird, I just now thought about this. I mean, it's not really a huge deal that he never brought it up again, but it would have been a nice little touch. So back to that scene, Sora glances at the strange wooden door that's been there for pretty much as long as, he's, as he remembers. Strangely enough, it has no knob to it either, it's just there. We, he turns to find Mr. Potato Sack is gone. Sora got Commissioner Gordoned. Because he was gone before he even noticed, like Batman. So finishing this all up, we go back to Kyrie, and we find that she's making a special charm inspired by one sailors would make for good luck, adding that the three of them will always be together. Oh, Kyrie, if only you knew how much crap was about to hit the fan. This one was... One of the new additions, by the way, this little scene here was actually one of the new additions added to the Kingdom Hearts, uh, to Kingdom Hearts via the final mix version, I should say. This little part was not in the original version. I should know. I've played that version more than the final mix version, surprisingly. Um, but then again, I had the original PS2 version, the longest, obviously, out of the other copies I've acquired. So um, it was a nice little touch, especially since it adds to the Oathkeeper scene much later in the game. And I, I really do like the fact that Kyrie keeps returning to this type of thing of being together and just having her close friends and her attachment, especially to Sora. I think this part of the game, this prologue, if you will, really does a very good job at establishing these characters. So I'll probably say it again here, too, because I just got to emphasize it. But I know some people don't really care much for it because they may think it's a little boring compared to the rest of the game. I understand that. But I feel like every time I start the game, I never want to skip it. Sometimes I can't, like it's, it's different too. like when I go to Kingdom Hearts 2, for instance, there are segments. There are times when I play that where I don't want to play as Roxas. Sometimes I just want to jump in and just go right to Sora. So, I, you know, I have certain save files that, you know, make that happen. With Kingdom Hearts, often enough, or with the first game, I mean, I typically, when I restart, I restart from the very beginning. I mean, sometimes I'll skip the tutorial, but... A lot of times, I just want to see it all happen. And, you know, nothing against Roxas in that tutorial for him. I think it's fun. I have, I have no real issue with it. But, I don't know. There's just... Maybe it's because it's much longer. I know that probably is a thing that works against it. As far as, like, that thing. I don't think it's... I don't think the tutorial is bad at all And as far as length goes. But I think that may be why sometimes I don't want to do it as much. But, I don't know. So, at that point, we actually cut to another wonderful sunrise. Kyrie and Sora are sitting at the docks. Kyrie breaks the ice with the statement, "You know, Riku has changed." And then you know she's she's dipping her toes at this point in the water, metaphorically, or is that symbolically? I think it's symbolically. Getting a feel of his response. And then saying, Sora, let's take the raft and go. Just the two of us. At this point, she has completely dived into the water head first. Sora is just baffled. And Kyrie is already back out of the water. Mission failed. We'll get him next time. Now, honestly, I feel like she was just joking here. I feel like she was mainly joking. Just wanted to see how Sora would react. Just to kind of gauge his feelings for her. And after that, you know, she says, eh, just kidding. Sora adds that she's actually the one that's changed. This is indeed a very touching moment. In this short time on the islands, we really get a feel for who these characters are to each other. I have no complaints, honestly, like I said. Especially Sora and Kairi. Establishing how Kairi was scared at first, 
but now she's ready. Ending the scene with her saying, Sora, don't ever change. I just can't wait once we set sail. It'll be great. Now the plot continues to thicken. We turn our attention back to Disney Castle. We now get to see the message our dear King Mickey has left his kingdom of friends. I love how he wrote his accent in the letter. That's just classic. Mickey goes on to say how stars have been blinking out, and he's off to investigate. And as we come to find out, stars and kingdom hearts are all worlds, which makes sense. That's basic astrology. Or, excuse me, astronomy. I always mix those two words by accident sometimes, but that's kind of basic astronomy. Most of the time in the night sky, when we see a star, it can range from being a planet or a, a star. You know, a sun, so it's pretty cool. So, it's you know, it's not that far-fetched in this. But, um... So, wait a minute. Hey, something I just realized. I, I don't think... Does 3 even have this? Do we are there suns at all in the gummy ship like navigations? Like I know there's not one in one, but in two and three, when the worlds are all together, like you would think so in three because we're like literally open world in space. I don't. I th- I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure there's a sun in each of those like systems we go to in three, since it's literally like I said open world space. But one and two, I can see why there's not. Would have been cool if they did that, though. More of a star system type deal. But that's just me. I love astronomy. Alright. So, at this point, Mickey goes on to say that about the stars blinking out. And he gives Donald and Goofy a special quest to find the wielder of a special key and to stick with him. Or her. You, you shouldn't assume, Mickey. It's 2021. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh... <laughs> So he points them in the direction of Traverse Town to start off with talking to a guy named Leon. And of course, he ends the letter with asking Donald to apologize to Minnie for just taking off classic Michael Mouse. Yes, whenever Mickey acts like a class act, he is now only known as Michael Mouse. So, yeah. (laughs) So, normally, I would actually end the episode with the completion of Destiny Islands. But I want to keep these episodes just around the hour mark, 45 minutes to an hour mark. So, since we're running up on that time, I'm just going to end it here. And we'll finish off Destiny Islands and then lead into Wonderland in the next episode. And I'm looking very forward to that. So... I think this was a very fun first episode to do, and I really hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did. If you did, I would very much appreciate you guys to uh, give the show a rating, if possible, like if you're listening to it on Apple Podcasts, and I'll probably say this in the outro. Actually, no, this will be the outro, because I I haven't made an outro yet. i got to still write the script for what all I need to say. So, this will be the unofficial outro. Um, and next episode I'll have like an actual outro clip, but, um, yeah, if you guys want to submit anything you want to say about the show, like if you want to answer any of the questions I asked, like what was your first, um, Kingdom Hearts game or what you think about the what ifs I proposed in this episode, anything like that, feel free to message me on, uh, Instagram at I am dot I escape. Or you can send me an email at yourfavoriteheartless at gmail.com with the subject, well, your favorite heartless or kingdom hearts. And I will give you a shout out in the next episode. So until then, this has been a very fun experience and I look forward to continuing this. And uh, now we are at the curtain call. The door to Kingdom Hearts is closing for now, but never forget, there may be darkness in every heart, but Kingdom Hearts is light. And by the way, shout out to the uh, intro. (laughs) Oh man, I did this completely out of order, but I I do want to give an actual live shout out, a verbal shout out to uh, Melanin Senpai. 
for creating the music that I used in the intro, which is a um, Shion a hip-hop remix. So a link to that will be in the show notes below and in every episode. So do be sure to check it out. Um, comment, like, subscribe, even if they're still active. And just show the page some love, even if they're not active anymore. You know, like and comment on the video. Maybe they'll make some more fire beats. But just wanted to give that person a shout-out for making that awesome intro. And I think that's it. Until then, TTFN, ta-ta for now.